Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are going to do a special spotlight on a musician uh, known to the world. There is no doubt about it. Um, We're talking about Dave Brubeck today in our spotlight here on the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Um, One of the things I do for my work is I work with uh, young kids, uh, middle schoolers, high schoolers, and part of that job is to teach jazz, which I do love. Uh, But it always astounds me that there's a couple of names that just people don't know. You know, um, most people know Miles Davis and John Coltrane. Some know Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, um, but very, very few actually know Dave Brubeck. So I'm like, what? So they know Take Five, but don't really know Dave Brubeck. So it kind of got my wheels thinking in my brain, um, and I, I decided, okay, well, just to play it safe. I'll, I'll look through the um, all the past episodes of the podcast, and we don't have a Dave Brubeck spotlight, which is a travesty. And I thought, well, what if I were to give 12 of my personal favorite Dave Brubeck songs that he's recorded? So uh, there are obviously going to be a lot of familiar tunes to you um, if you are already versed in music by Dave Brubeck, but there's also probably going to be a handful of tunes that you're like, really? That's Brubeck? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and if there's one thing that I try to show week after week is that I have a very wide style palette, so um, so yeah, so there's bound to be some surprises. Regardless, uh, we have 12 great tracks for you, so Thank you so much for listening, uh, and I hope you dig these 12 songs and this special spotlight to Mr. Dave Brubeck. Enjoy.
Thank you. 
Three really good ones. So we started off the set with a very, very, very popular Dave Brubeck tune. It is probably one of the most popular Dave Brubeck tunes, and that is uh, his original composition, Blue Rondo a la Turk, uh, which is in 9-8 time and comes off the Columbia Records album Time Out, which was a instant classic. Um, and on top of that, it was uh, part of the the big creative shift in jazz for the seminal year 1959. Uh, I've said it many times, and in fact, there's a whole podcast I did on it very early 
uh, in the podcast's lifetime. So you can look for that and get more details. But 1959 was a very big watershed year for jazz creativity in that um, so many iconic albums came out in the exact same year. Um, Whether they were released or being recorded, we're talking about uh, Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. We're talking about Sketches of Spain was in the uh, midst of being recorded with the Gil Evans Orchestra. Uh, Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Mingus Um by Charles Mingus. The Shape of Jazz to Come by Ornette Coleman. Uh, Blowing the Blues Away by Horace Silver. All of these fantastic albums came out in 1959 along with Time Out by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. And might I add that the Columbia execs really thought that this was going to be a flop. They really did not want to release this album. They thought an album full of odd meter songs, of songs in 9-8 and 3-4 and 5-4. Have you lost your mind, Dave? That's never going to fly. Well, they were wrong. They were wrong big time. Uh, because about that point in time in the history of jazz, uh, listeners were looking for something a little bit different, as were musicians to listen to. And an album full of odd meter uh, songs seemed like just the prescription. So there you go. Uh, and what we heard there at the top of that set, Blue Rondo a la Turk, is one of the first and still one of the most popular songs associated with Dave Brubeck. Uh, the second song uh, in that set was uh, another original composition by Dave Brubeck entitled The Duke, written for, you guessed it, the one and only Duke Ellington, who Dave admired very greatly because Dave was a co- composer. I mean, notice what we just said um, right there in these last two songs. Oh, this song was a composition by Dave Brubeck, you know, as was Blue Rondo Alan Turk. So... Being a jazz composer, who better to look up to than, you know, the granddaddy of all jazz compositions uh, previous to 1959, right? Duke Ellington. So, uh, yeah, he had a lot of very fond respect for for the great Duke and wrote a song in his honor and in his dedication. Uh, Yeah, and that particular song comes off of the Columbia album Interchanges 54. So, uh, and then we ended the song, or I'm sorry, we ended the set with the song Someday My Prince Will Come. And this is very much a jazz standard. Don't get me wrong. It's a jazz standard that it's a waltz. It's in three, four time. Right? Uh, Of course, it comes from the Walt Disney cartoon Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And um, countless, countless jazz guys have covered this standard from, you know, you, you name it, from Chet Baker on down, Miles Davis, Bill Evans, Dave Brubeck, uh, Lee Konitz, you know, everybody, just about anybody who's anybody who's, who plays standards have, have, has covered this song. But I will say this, that this one holds... Wait, this one has staying power. Uh, of course, the Miles Davis version is pretty fantastic. It's got the dueling um, solos between Hank Mobley and John Coltrane. Uh, very beautiful solo by Miles. 
the Bill Evans version is with the trio is fantastic um, with his trio and but this one holds water as well and it, it's it's wonderful um, you can't mistake just how beautiful and lyrical Paul Desmond is on the alto saxophone but then just how cool Dave Brubeck is as well because um, He's really awe-inspiring and breathtaking as a pianist and as an improviser because I give you two points just with that last track. One, he sets this thing up in a very grandiose Rachmaninoff-esque kind of intro, and it almost it doesn't sound corny. It doesn't sound like you're covering a cartoon theme. It sounds like this, almost like this this motif from a magnum opus, and then it just kind of stops. And gently fades. And then in comes the time with Joe Morello on the drums, Eugene Wright on the bass, and Paul Desmond just kind of floating this one-note melody on the alto saxophone as he just immediately starts improvising. And Brubeck takes a back seat during this um, improvisation of Paul Desmond's solo and to just comp these nice little punchy chords until it's his time to solo on the piano, and then when it comes to Dave's time to solo, he really pushes the envelope because Joe Morello's keeping that time on the that waltz time, right? And Eugene Wright is just laying down those downbeats, doomed, 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 doomed. And what does Brubeck do in this kind of trio format? with him improvising on the piano he starts off by improvising in three but then he gets into really manipulating the rhythmic aspect so he treats what Wright and Morello are laying down in three four almost as a downbeat for a slow four four and that's what you hear is him basically doing these polyrhythms and that uh, for the listener it's a polyrhythm. Brubeck himself is soloing in, in a groovy four with his left hand and his right hand. His right hand is soloing, his left hand is comping in this groovy four that is laid there from the downbeats of what Eugene Wright and Joe Morello are laying down in the rhythm section. Which, that's a true testament to, to jazz improv greatness because if you ask me that's one of the hardest things to do is to seamless I mean anybody can try it you see what I'm saying and, and make it sound really harsh like oh hit you over the head with it like oh that's what you're attempting to do okay but what Brubeck has a mastery of is he starts one way in three and then he just seamlessly gravitates into this kind of polyrhythmic swing on top a 4-4 swing on top of the 3-4 and then he gradually seamlessly just kind of you know gently goes kind of back to 3 and then there we are and then that's the end of the piece um, so yeah I mean kudos to Dave Brubeck you know not a lot of people are, are, are doing stuff like that uh, especially at this time in 19 you know uh, 50 whatever and um, yeah so let, let's give a little flowers for Dave Brubeck yeah um, yeah so on the next 
um, break, we are going to talk a little bit more about the history of and the life of Dave Brubeck. So once again, thank you so much for listening. You can find the Dr. Jazz podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, uh, TuneIn, uh, and now we are also on Amazon Podcasts. So uh, we would love it if you would leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or write something if you enjoy the episode. Um, we're trying to get back to that 5.0 rating. And thank you for everyone who has taken time out just to do just that. Uh, if you are trying to like jot down song titles or whatever, you know, don't worry about that. We've got you covered. All you got to do is check out our website and everything is there from the album art to the, the song title to the artist. Um, in the order in which it was played. So, uh, and to go to that website, all you got to do is go to Dr. Jazz Podcast, D R J A Z Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And there you can click on each episode and find the information you need. So if you don't have these songs, then you know what to download, buy, or go crate digging for, and hopefully your local record store. Support local if you can. All right, enough talking for me. Let's get back to some really, really fine music in this set, um, spotlighting the great pianist and composer Dave Brubeck.
yes all right uh so that last track is perdido written by uh the great duke ellington and uh that comes from the dave brubeck quartet's album jazz at oberlin and it's recorded live in finney chapel which i have been to many 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 times and um an interesting backstory about that is that there was, uh, you know, Oberlin is the the Oberlin Conservatory of Music is the oldest functioning uh, music conservatory in the United States. It's older than Juilliard, and uh, not a lot of people know this, but uh, a lot of they don't know that fact. But uh, there's still a great deal of people who apply to the Great Conservatory uh, from all over the world. And um, at least in this point in time, in the 50s, uh, they did not have any... They, well, let's put it this way. They did not take jazz as serious, legitimate music. You know, it was very much looked down their noses on to jazz and jazz you know, musicians. Um, but there was uh, a student there who decided to basically start his own jazz society, a jazz listening society, uh, among all the students. And it grew in popularity so big that, I mean, they all paid dues and they put money into it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it grew to such a point that they were able to actually get in touch with these more modern musicians for the day. This is the you know, early to mid-1950s, keep that in mind, and were able to actually book people like Miles Davis and the Dave Brubeck Quartet to come in and play in Oberlin, Ohio, at all places in the United States. I mean, we're not talking like it's Philadelphia. It's not Detroit. It's not New York. It's not the Black Hawk in San Francisco. You dig what I'm saying, right? It's not the, the Bohemia. Um... And it's not even New Orleans. So um, it's kind of this weird little thing. And uh, but a lot of, you know, I mean, well, I, you keep this in mind. A lot of jazz acts at that time were touring different campuses uh, to play like dance halls and, you know, uh, basically do school dances. Well, due to this jazz society, uh, Oberlin kind of got in that mix, luckily. And for rightly so. I mean, they're a music school, right? So. And um, what's really interesting is that it, it continued on for a while and that until the point where now, now, uh, Oberlin has a jazz conservatory department in from the uh, jazz department in the Oberlin Conservatory. And it's got its own building. And uh, Sonny Rollins has uh, dedicated his library, his manuscripts and his tenor saxophone um that's I've seen it. it. It's showcased there in a glass box on top of having fantastic faculty uh, on staff like um, Gary Bartz and uh, it, it's just it's Eddie Henderson. Oh, man. Yeah, I forgot about Eddie Henderson. Um, and it, it's Jamie Haddad. It, it's really something special is my point. And uh, to go from not. To go from looking down your noses at this art form, you know, uh, to having your own jazz division uh, of the conservatory, that is a huge jump and a huge 180, and there you go. Um, so kudos to Oberlin. 
So yeah, that that the reason I was talking about that is because that came off the album Jazz at Oberlin. Now before that, we heard a tune called The Golden Horn. Uh, and that came off of the Day Brubeck Quartet's Columbia album Jazz Impressions of Eurasia. Very cool uh, percussive piano playing uh, by Mr. Brubeck, followed by this beautiful Sephardi line to open up uh, the entrance to Paul Desmond and his alto saxophone. Uh, and then we started off the set with Koto Song, which is a very beautifully haunting ballad. And um, that comes from the Dave Brubeck's Quartet's album, Jazz Impressions of Japan. And, um, yeah, just phenomenal, phenomenal music. Um, but as promised, here's a little bit of background about Dave Brubeck. Uh, he was born December 6th, 1920. He was a jazz pianist and composer, uh, often regarded as a foremost exponent of the cool school in jazz. Uh, his work is characterized by unusual time signatures, which we've already discussed, uh, con superimposing contrasting rhythms, which we discussed that too, different meters and tonalities. He was born in Concord, California, uh, and he was drafted into the U.S. Army, but was spared from combat when a Red Cross show he had played at became a hit. So within the U.S. Army, Dave Brubeck formed one of his mo first racially diverse bands. In 1951, Dave Brubeck formed the Dave Brubeck Quartet, which kept its name despite shifting the personnel. The most successful and prolific lineup of the quartet was between, one between 1958 and 1968. This lineup, in addition, to in addition to Dave Brubeck on the piano, featured the great saxophonist Paul Desmond on alto sax, Eugene Wright on the upright bass, and Joe Morello on the drums. Brubeck was later chosen to go to a U.S. State Department-sponsored tour in 1958, uh, and it inspired him on that State Department tour to record the Time Out album from in 1959 that we discussed with Blue Rondo Alaturk. Despite its esoteric theme and contrarian time signatures, Time Out became Brubeck's highest-selling album and the first jazz album to sell over one million copies. The lead single from the album, Take Five, was a tune written by Dave Brub not by Dave Brubeck, but actually by Paul Desmond, and happens to be in 5-4 time. Uh, similarly, this became the highest-selling jazz single of all time. The quartet followed up Time Out with four other albums in non-standard time signatures. And other and some of the other songs from this series became hits as well, including Blue Rondo a la Turk, which we heard at the first set of this podcast in 9-8, Unsquare Dance in 7-4, and many more. Uh, Brubeck's style ranged from refined to bombastic, and uh, reflecting both his mother's classical training and his own improvisational skills. He expressed elements of atonality and fugue. Brubeck, with Paul Desmond, used elements of West Coast jazz near the height of his popularity, combining them with the unorthodox time signatures seen in Time Out. Like many of his contemporaries, Brubeck played into the style 
of the French composer Darius Mio, who was one of his teachers. Uh, especially his earlier works, including Serenade Suite and Playland at the Beach. Brubeck's fusion of classical music and jazz would come to be known as third-stream music, although Brubeck's use of the third-stream would predate the coming of the term. John Fordham from The Guardian said that Brubeck's real achievement was to blend European compositional ideas, very demanding rhythmic structures, jazz song forms, and improvisation in expressive and accessible ways. He received... Dave Brubeck, that is, received many uh, music awards and honors throughout his lifetime. In 1996, he received a lifetime, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. In 2008, he was inducted into the California Hall of Fame. A year later, in 2009, he was given an honorary doctorate of music from the Berklee College of Music. And Brubeck's 1959 album, Time Out, was also added to the Library of Congress's National Recording Registry in 2005, noted as one of jazz's first pop stars by the L.A. Times. Brubeck rejected his fame and felt uncomfortable even with Time magazine featuring him on the cover before someone like Duke Ellington. So... Um, while he was in the military, he that is where he actually, this is kind of interesting, after graduating in, in high school in 1942, he was drafted into the U.S. Army, serving in Europe under the th- in the Third Army under General George S. Patton. He volunteered to play piano at a Red Cross show, as we mentioned before, and uh, he, luckily, it was such a hit, he was spared from combat service. Uh, in the military, in 1944, is where Dave Brubeck met alto saxophonist Paul Desmond. After serving nearly four years in the Army, he returned to California to study for graduate study at Mills College in Oakland, where he was a student of Darius Mio, studying fugue and orchestration, um, but Mio encouraged him not to study classical piano. Um, he also, while on active duty, received two lessons from Arnold Schoenberg at UCLA uh, in an attempt to connect with high modernist theory and practice. However, the encounter did not end on good terms since Schoenberg believed that every note should be accounted for, an approach which Dave Brubeck could not accept. Although, according to Chris Brubeck, Dave Brubeck's son, there is a 12-tone row in Dave Brubeck's first oratorio called The Light in the Wilderness. In it, Jesus' 12 disciples are introduced, each singing their own individual notes. It is described as quite dramatic, especially when Judas starts singing Repent on a high and straining dissonant note. What kind of mind thinks that way? I mean, this is truly some brilliance by Dave Brubeck, if you ask me. Um, Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about some stories uh, with Dave Brubeck and um, integrating his quartet and standing up for, you know, racial rights and things like that. Um, Yeah, he's just a fantastic figure in, in, in the history of jazz. And uh, 
it's kind of overdue to have a little spotlight on Dave Brubeck. So enough talking from me. Hopefully you found kind of this information uh, informative. But let's get back to we get two more sets for you of 12 of my personal favorites of Dave Brubeck on this spotlight to Dave Brubeck here on the Dr. Jazz podcast.
Yeah. All right. So that is one of my all-time favorite Dave Brubeck tunes, and I actually mentioned it in one of the descriptions when we were talking about Dave Brubeck on one of the last uh, set breaks there. That song is Unsquare Dance, and it is in 7-4 time, and you've never heard 7 groove so hard. Um, yeah, I, I love it. The hand claps are on the ends of the beats, and uh, it, it, yeah, it's just it's fantastic. I just love it. Um, and that comes from Dave Brubeck, the Dave Brubeck Quartet's Columbia album, Time Further Out. Um, this album's got a lot of great, great tunes. But what's really interesting is that there's a uh, Jean Miro uh, painting on the front, and then it lists all the titles and their tempos. So you can see that It's a Raggy Waltz is in 3-4 time. Bluehead is in 3-4 time. Charles Matthew Hallelujah, named after his son, is in 4-4 time. Far More Blue and five, Far More Drums are both in 5-4. Maori Blues is in 6-4. Uh, Unsquare Dance, which we just heard, is in 7-4. Bruised Boogie Woogie is in 8-8. And Blue Shadows in the Street is in 9-8 time. So they're literally giving it away, which is really, really cool. Um... Yeah, and it's just, it's a groovy song. It's like a hoedown that's with an odd tempo. You just got to dig it. Um, before that, we heard one of my all-time favorite songs, and it's called So Wistfully Sad. Um, with a, which is just a beautiful, beautiful song. And it comes from the album Late Night Brubeck on Telarc Jazz. It's one of uh, Dave Brubeck's later, later things, and it features the um, the sensational alto saxophone of Bobby Militello. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Bobby and Dave Brubeck perform at the, uh, I think it was the Shermerhorn Center uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, yeah, I was front row, me and my girlfriend at the time. We both went... And it was truly one of the highlights of all of my concert going experiences. Uh, I, I just kind of sat there going like, I can't believe I just saw Dave Prupet live front row. And um, yeah, that was like in 2002. So oh God, that was 20 years ago. There you go. Um, but yeah, it, it was one of definitely one of the thrills of my life. And I still have that sticket stub, and I have it. Uh, I have it framed with a picture um, of Dave Brubeck. So, in my jazz layer, so to speak. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I just love Dave Brubeck, and uh, yeah, it was super cool to see Bobby Melitello uh, play. And I mean, being an alto saxophonist, it was emphatically important to see a really great person like Bobby Militello play and um, this is one of the songs that I kind of fell in love with his, his playing because he's not only a great alto saxophonist but he's also a, a great flute player too and um, this is one of the songs that so wistfully sad is just gorgeous so hopefully I hope you dig it too and uh, like I said that that song comes from the Telarc Jazz album Late Night Brubeck then we open up the set with Solo Piano by Dave Brubeck, featuring another one of his compositions, In Your Own Sweet Way. 
and that comes from the album Brubeck Plays Brubeck. And um, yeah, what, what what's interesting about this is besides it being another great composition by Dave Brubeck, along with Unsquared Ants and all that other stuff, and many of the more others that we mentioned in previous set breaks, it's one of the two that Miles Davis really loved by Dave Brubeck's pen. Uh, Miles recorded the Duke with the Gil Evans Orchestra on his album Miles Ahead. But he also recorded within his own quintets um, in your own sweet way. And it's one of those that I don't know which one I like best because they're both so, so good. Um, yeah, and it's also, both of them are also standards that I learned how to play. Um, yeah, it's just one of those very catchy melodies that goes in logical sequences. So, and it's got very cool color tones. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether that's SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, we're also on Amazon Podcasts. Uh, we would love for you to take a minute and um, click however many stars or write a, a, a nice review if you have the time on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. Also, and don't forget to share with any uh, friends or family that you think might dig, you know, the Dr. Jazz podcast. If they like jazz or if they're interested in finding out more about jazz. We do have a wide array of music here. Also, you can find all of each track information, album art, artist, song title spelled correctly, uh, in the order in which it was played for each episode of the podcast if you go to our website, which is... Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast dot WordPress dot com. And there you can find out all the information for each track on each episode. Plus, if you look at the top of the page, you can click contact. And if you click that button, you can it will take us to take you to a form that you can email us directly. And we would love to hear from you. And we've heard from many of you. And we will write you back. Guaranteed. All right. Um, I said in this set break, I would talk a little bit more about some stories associated with Dave Brubeck and his quartet. And that's what I'm going to do. So one of the, the, the great stories about Dave Brubeck and, um, him standing up for racial equality was this famous story about him going on tour with his, uh, his quartet, which consisted of, you know, Eugene Wright on the bass, who was African-American, alongside Paul Desmond and Joe Morello and himself on piano. And as they would go on tour to various college campuses and things like that, there would invariably be, you know, some form of discrimination that rears its ugly head from time to time. And so they were at one of these college campuses. I can't remember which one. And the... uh, either the president of the university or whoever was given the orders for the the concert, it could have just been the auditorium owner, who knows, said, well, you can't go on stage with with him on bass. And Dave's like, well, I'm sorry, he's part of our quartet. Now, if you want to tell that whole group of screaming fans that's out there that's already bought a ticket that you're going to refund them because we're here and we're here ready to play. 
you know what I mean, then you're going to have to go answer to all of them and give them a refund. Because we're not doing it. We're ready to play. So the guy, basically knowing that Brubeck had him over a barrel, said, okay, fine, fine, fine. But you've you got to put him in the back, pointing to Eugene Wright. You know, put him in the back to where he can't be seen. And Dave said, he kind of winked at Eugene and says, don't worry. You know, we'll, we'll do just that. As long as everything's fine, we'll, we'll do just that. And he's like, yeah, okay, that'll work. You know, so Eugene knew something was up because Dave winked, you know. And the story goes that on the very first number, Dave said, let's take a bass solo. <laughs> To Eugene Wright. And then he, he he had told Eugene before they went out, he's like, don't plug in. Don't plug into anything. You know. And so he's like, there's something wrong with the, the microphone. I think we need to move him out to the front so all the people can hear his bass solo. <laughs> oh, and of course, so that really got, you know, the goose of whoever was trying to push Eugene Wright to the back. Um, yeah, so Dave basically, you know, just kind of smoothed it over and until it was time to actually get out there and play. And then once they were out there, there was no getting them off the stage. So he basically let you, he, he, you know, <laughs> found an excuse, a convenient way to, um, not only shine a spotlight on Eugene Wright, but put him right at the front of the stage and let everyone know that they were an integrated quartet and that they were proud of it. So kudos to Dave Brubeck for standing up for what is right at all times. Um, another story of Dave Brubeck, the great diplomat. Uh, believe it or not, not all these famous groups, you know, uh, are like a band of brothers and love each other and, you know, would take a bullet for each other. That's very much a fairy tale. And Hollywoodized, you know, with some of these quartets that you hear. But there was this one example in which I can't remember who instigated it first, if it was Joe Morello or if it was Paul Desmond. But there was some row riff to where they just hated each other. I mean, hated each other. And. There was some one of the two of them came up to Dave at some invariably at some point and says, Dave, either he goes or I go. And I think it was Paul Desmond because he, he realized that, you know, it, it was him who wrote the, you know, take five. It was him who is kind of the, the saxophone sound of the Dave Brubeck Quartet and all this other stuff. But I mean, Dave Brubeck was smart because he knew that while Paul Desmond was the saxophone sound of the group that it was mainly his compositions that really carried a lot of the weight of the group and his compositions were in very odd meters played to perfection by Joe Morello on the drums so here's the conundrum and here's a classic catch 22 you got the perfect drummer for these odd time signatures he got the perfect foil and this very laid-back, cool sound of the saxophone with Paul Desmond, what do you do? Now, rather than make a choice, Dave Brubeck was very smart and diplomatic, and he said, Paul, 
He's not going anywhere. And neither are you. We're going to work this thing out together because he also knew from Duke Ellington that if you can basically stir the pot, if you can, you know, poke the bear, uh, you know, goose the members just a little bit, which they didn't need any goosing. They kind of had some some hatred for each other. Um, that that brings out, I mean, it's the line of love and hate is very, very thin line, you know. And that can create a lot of chemistry, musical chemistry, if there's some antagonist, protagonist, you know, little subplots going on behind the scenes. Because the music can't suffer, and they're never going to let it slip so far that it's bad, but they'll goose each other, which probably means good music. And it was. And Dave knew it. And he kept that quartet together for about 10 years, from about 1958 to 1968. So kudos to Dave Brubeck, the diplomat, on top of that. So there you go. And then lastly, I'm not sure if it's true, but I think it is, because if you actually look at the recorded history of it, it makes sense, that there was some kind of clause when when Paul Desmond left the Dave Brubeck Quartet that he could never record under his own name an album with a pianist that was not Brubeck. And that's why you see Paul Desmond uh, creating records with like Jim Hall and Ed Bickert and all these great guitar players and that if he did play with a pianist or an electric pianist, uh, it wasn't under his own album. It was him guesting on another person's album. Kind of like... Chet Baker's uh, You Can't Go Home Again or Don Sebesky's Giant Box. Um, those weren't his albums. He was just a cameo in a, in a, in a featured role in, in, on those albums. So, But then, later on in the 70s, you see a duo album uh, between saxophone and piano between Paul Desmond and Dave Brubeck. And it's kind of got like this glass of wine or red wine or whatever, but um, yeah, so I wonder if that is true. So that, that's some pretty cutthroat business right there, but it is what it is. So there you go. All right, we've got one more set for you. Uh, thank you so much for listening again. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this special spotlight on pianist and composer and band leader, um, Dave Brubeck. He is a very uh, special character and uh, person in the you know, the jazz idiom. And uh, hopefully you've dug on these tunes. And uh, if you haven't heard them in a while, it's nice to revisit them. And if you, there, hopefully there's some tunes that you haven't heard and that you're like, ooh, I need to go find that. I like that. So there you go. Um, yeah, so thank you so much again. This is the last set. We do hope you enjoy this music. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast.
from reports on his gallant speed. It was clear to the local press he quelled the riots afar of Greece, restored the place to comparative peace. That's what we call cultural exchange. 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 When this blue, the riots were routed, people danced and cheered and shouted, the headlines mattered, the hours is, they dropped their stones and they rhymed with this. That's what we call cultural exchange. That's what we call cultural exchange. That's what we call cultural exchange. That's what we call cultural in 57 he did such a good job we started sending jazz all over the world the state department has discovered jazz it reaches folks like nothing ever has like when they feel that jazzy rhythm they know we're really with them That's what we call cultural exchange No commodity is quite so strange As this thing called cultural exchange Say that our prestige needs a tonic Export the philharmonic that's what we call cultural exchange. That's what we call cultural exchange. We put Oklahoma in Japan. South Pacific we gave to Iran. And when our neighbors call us vermin, we sent out Woody Herman. That's what we call cultural exchange. Hirschwin gave the Muscovites a thrill. Einstein was the darling of Brazil. And just to stop internal mayhem, we dispatched Martha Graham. That's what we call cultural exchange. That's what we call cultural exchange.
those wacky. We'll get John to send out Jackie. You mean Jackie Robinson? No, man. I mean the first lady. That's what we call cultural exchange. Oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Thank you. 
Good stuff. So, of course, uh, we started off that set with uh, a tune called Blessed Are the Poor, which is also known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this featured Dave Brubeck alongside Barry Sachs master Jerry Mulligan uh, from their two-CD set Live at the Berlin Philharmonie. That is from disc one. And after that, actually, I wanted to say this too. That is that was a ex- perfect example of the percussive pianistic power. How's that for alliteration? Of Dave Brubeck, l- like setting up a tune. We heard a, a snippet of that kind of uh, from the Golden Horn a couple of sets ago, but. This was kind of atonal, it was pointillistic, uh, but it still had so much information in his, like, solo. And it's just over a drone groove, you know. If you didn't know any better, um, you might have sworn that that was, like, Erie Kane and a John Zorn project, <laughs> Masada project or something, you know. Uh, but that's how cool it is. Um, that's how cool Dave Brubeck can be. So, yeah, and there was a little snippet of St. James Infirmary in there, which is our send-off song, as you can hear behind me right now. So, very cool. Uh, after that, we heard Cultural Exchange with Lambert Hendricks and Ross, uh, Harmon McRae, and Louis Armstrong. Because Dave Brubeck, besides with his great quartet, played with so many famous names. Jimmy Rushing, Louis Armstrong, Lambert Hendricks and Ross. Um, yeah, all these cats. You know, Jerry Mulligan, uh, Anthony Braxton, Lee Konitz. There's tons of great ones. And, um, yeah, so besides the quartet, he played with many, many, many great names. And I just want that to be known. And then we ended off... The entire podcast with probably the most well-known Dave Brubeck song, which strangely enough is not his composition, but it's Paul Desmond's Take 5 from that seminal album that we discussed earlier, Time Out from 1959. Remember, you can find all of this information on our website, drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, thank you so, so, so much for listening. Um, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to write us an email. Um, we will respond back. Hopefully you dig this uh, spotlight. It's well-deserved and due for a wonderful figure in, in jazz history, Mr. Dave Brubeck. Uh, in the famous words of Duke Ellington, 
We do love you madly. And we are nothing without you. So thank you for listening. Remember, we're not making a dime off this. We actually have to pay to post these things. So it is truly a labor of love. And we appreciate you. Uh, So until next time. Ashes to ashes. Dust to dust. Y'all be good now. Because in jazz, we trust.